0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 20th Century Movie Club on the Dana Buckler Show. This is volume 34. And as always, I am your host, Mike Scott. Dana is off doing his fancy Hollywood unfiltered things on the (laughs) Fun for Life radio network And uh, I am I am handling the ship here for 20th Century Movie Club. But as always, I cannot do this on my own. So I have called in somebody to help out and I am unbelievably ecstatic to have this person back on the show for technically on the 20th Century Movie Club a second time for a third time on the Dana Buckler show because she did a lockdown session as well. She is one of my very, very favorite people in the whole wide world. She's one of my oh. very best Twitter friends. <laughs> Alejandra Gonzalez, welcome back.
1: Oh my God, that was so sweet. Hi, thank you for having me back. I cannot even believe it's been three times already.
0: Yep, and, uh, and it will be more, I am, I am certain, because Dana and I both adore you and we love t- chatting with you, so uh, we're happy Yay.
1: to have you back. Oh, those kind words go a long way.
0: So, L.A., just for people who don't remember, uh, and I'll give you a chance to plug some shit at the end of this, but tell us a little bit about uh, where people can find you on, you know, I know you've got a couple of podcasts going right now. Uh, Where can people find your stuff?
1: So I do most of my work over at Talk Film Society. We've got a bunch of podcasts. I do Going Helm's Deep, which is a ridiculous title. I still feel that way, but it's a great podcast. I love everybody on it. And of course, my beloved sequels with Sarah and Shaq. Um, Those are kind of my babies right now. I haven't written in a while. I've been meaning to get back to it. And Sarah actually asked me to for, you know, her site. So we'll see. We'll see.
0: And her site, by her site, are we talking her uh, uh, film, film credit? Cred. Yeah, yes. Which is also great. Very, very happy that Sarah was able to to get that up and running because I think that is a terrific site as well. So um,
1: she's amazing.
0: And uh, and folks who are listening, I cannot uh, sing the praises of just Talk Film Society as a network in general. Uh, Marcelo does some really great stuff. They've got multiple podcasts. Every one of them is is incredibly enjoyable to me. Uh, So if you're not following them and again, we'll we'll let you know where and I'll make sure that we have links in the description at the end of this episode, but make sure to check them out. Um, All right. So, Ali, as you know, we do this 20th Century Movie Club. We recommend movies from before the year 2000 because uh, Dana and I both feel like the younger generation, of which actually you are a part of, but yeah. you you tend to actually be a little more uh, willing to watch some older movies than maybe some of your <laughs> contemporaries are. Uh, oh, I'm an
1: old soul.
0: <laughs> you are an old soul. We want people to check out these movies. And one of the things we always do is we come up with a theme. And you and I sort of work together on this theme for folks listening uh, it's going to be a few months after we're recording this that you hear this episode, but we're recording it in November of 2020. There's a pandemic going on. We're just coming out of an election <laughs> that is still, for lack of a better term, a clusterfuck.
1: It's going to be so weird listening to this in the future it, <laughs> and being and knowing what happens.
0: It, it really is. It really is. And And one of the things you and I sort of came up with as far as a theme goes, given everything that's going on, is we sort of settled on suburban nightmares. Why mm. Why did we come to that theme? Why was that something that was interesting to you?
1: Well, our first theme was we wanted to do something having to do with escapism and, you know, escapist films, but it was too similar to what we did the last time. So, and we also didn't know what the outcome of this election was going to be. And luckily it was one I didn't want to escape from just yet. So we, we, you know, trashed that one and we chose this because it makes a lot of sense. I feel like we're all living a suburban nightmare right now, living at home in the middle of a pandemic. We can't leave. It's a fucking nightmare to me. So it makes sense. And I, am actually really excited to talk about it because there are so many different kinds of suburban nightmares that I think all of our films are going to kind of explore
0: yeah i agree when we sort of settled on this i was just like it was kind of like a light bulb right it was just like that was that's it that that is the theme and
1: well to be fair i do want to give you a lot of the credit for that because it was a brilliant theme to to kind of uh come up with but thank you for you know (laughs) giving me some credit
0: I well, I appreciate it. I mean, I, we got there together. This was a this was a joint venture. So we,
1: I feel like the one kid who did nothing on the group project <laughs> was not, taking credit.
0: Not true at all. We got there together. This was a joint venture, and 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 it is the reality. You know, I I mean, I think we can all agree, regardless of of where you're at on any type of spectrum, be it political or whatever. There's always something there. There's a long history of cinema involving rot under the suburbs and and rot under the suburbs is something that I feel like we're dealing with as a nation right now, uh, just straight across the board, you know, and and so it's it it feels topical. And even though it's going to be a couple more months before people can hear this after we're recording it. I don't see it being any less topical (laughs) in a couple of months. Yeah, me neither. So um, with that, for those who uh, maybe are just joining us for the first time, the way this is going to work is Ale and I are going to each pick three movies. We're going to go alternating, making recommendations. We also have an alternative in case we pick the same movie. Uh, And the guest always gets to go first. So Ale, tell us what your first recommendation is.
1: Well, this is going to be a surprise to absolutely nobody. But I think this is the quintessential Suburban Nightmare. And I'm going with Blue Velvet. David Lynch's Blue Velvet. It's just, I mean, I cannot express with words how perfect this movie is. And if the opening sequence doesn't yell like something's not right here, then I don't know what would
0: well, and I mean, to be honest with you, as we were kind of coming up with this, we don't have any Lynch on our 20th Century Movie Club list. and Shame. I And uh, there are, well, there's really nobody I know that loves Lynch more than you. And so part of it was <laughs> to come up with a reason to give you this recommendation. Um, oh my
1: God, thanks.
0: <laughs> what is it that that really about... Well, let's just go a little broader. What is it about Lynch and then specifically Blue Velvet that speaks to you so much?
1: Oh, man, you're asking me such a difficult question. I actually have an article or like a column. It should still be up on F this movie where I like talk about this with Rob DiCristino. But I just think he how do I put this? I think he helps me understand that feelings are not to be understood, but to be felt. And that's how I feel when I watch his films, especially Blue Velvet and, you know, like things like Fire Walk With Me. It's just I feel so much and I can't even explain my feelings or what made me feel that way. But I think that's how I feel things in real life. So I think it serves as kind of like this vessel by which to explore that phenomenon, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> no, it absolutely does. And, and and I think, you know, Lynch is so fascinating because I'll admit I'm not I'm not a, a Lynch devotee. There's something about him that has always sort of kept me a little bit of a at a distance. Uh, but I understand when I hear people like you or you mentioned Rob DiCristino, you know, people who love him. When I hear you guys talk about him, I am always like, okay, maybe I don't get him, but I love that the people who do get him. Really get him like he's well. The thing
1: is, nobody gets him. Like I right, don't get him,
0: right? <laughs> um, and I love you know, and, and that's not to say I don't. You know, I actually uh, I ride or die for Wild at Heart. That's my Lynch movie because mm-hmm, it's the yeah. perfect storm. Because it's also Nicolas Cage, and so it's just a perfect storm of awesome for me. But. I love Blue Velvet as well. I I really wasn't sure whether you were going to pick this one or Fire Walk With Me because I do think they both really Mm. fit the theme. But I'm glad you picked this one because I feel like Fire Walk With Me would not necessarily be – if you were going to – you know, somebody was going to say, hey, what David Lynch movie – I've never seen David Lynch. What David Lynch movie should I watch? At least for me, I sure as fuck would not pick Fire Walk With Me, right? Absolutely not but i would probably pick v- blue velvet i would either pick blue velvet or wild at heart for me cuz i would be cuz i think those are his two most accessible movies but they're still yes. so fundamentally lynchian that i think mm-hmm. they're they're wonderful
1: right you took the words right out of my mouth like i wouldn't recommend something like the elephant man or straight story because although they do have very lynchian elements it's not i don't want to say it's not true to him but it's not really, like, a window into what his work feels like, the way that Blue Velvet is. And also, I just think the reason I chose Blue Velvet over Fire Walk With Me is because, because of the opening sequence on Blue Velvet, it is literally established in this, like, suburban reality, and it still feels so, so unsettling how happy and, like, cheery that sequence is. You know that something's about to get messed up, and it does, so...
0: Yeah, that's what he does so well in this movie, right? Is is everything that opening sequence, like everything is just it's so it's golden and and you know just so idyllic, almost. But he does it in such a way that it is it's it's very uncanny valley is the best word I can right. use to describe it. Is is his suburbs are. So uncanny valley, they look like they should be happy and they're not. And then obviously, you know, without getting into spoilers, we go deep in for those who don't know it, basically the, and I'm not going to tell you more than just a couple of sentences about the movie. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, Kyle McLaughlin, Kyle McLaughlin plays a man who finds uh, something in a field uh, that leads him to go on an investigation that causes him to encounter Isabella Rossellini and most importantly Dennis Hopper in arguably Dennis Hopper's greatest in a in a career of great performances arguably his greatest performance. I'm a, I'm glad that you recommended this because I got to be honest with you. We can't recommend everything, but I am a little bit ashamed that this wasn't already on the list. So
1: I am too. I was very surprised when I looked. I was like, well, this is probably going to be on the list already, so I might as well just check, though. And it wasn't. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, he totally did this on purpose so that I could talk about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the advantages of being the host is you can
1: sometimes...
0: Uh, <laughs> do stuff like that but but this is an important movie this needs to be on the list you know we've made recommendations and and mostly for me not all of the recommendations have been what we call classics but i know that there are people that listen to this show that are like hopping mad that the wraith is on the list and Blue Velvet isn't. So I thank you for uh, for fixing that oversight.
1: <laughs> I am very honored to be the one to have done that.
0: All right. Anything you want to add about Blue Velvet?
1: I love this movie. I don't know what else to say. Like, no words do it justice. I literally have a whole column about it just because I really had to sit there and really put my thoughts on this movie into words. But... It, it kind of really, really represents like in an exaggerated way what living in mediocrity. If is that the word? Is that how you pronounce it?
0: That is how you pronounce it.
1: Okay. English isn't my first language. So. But it really represents how that could feel because to me, the movie is not necessarily literal. I think it's... A whole, it's a whole thing. I think it's like a whole fantasy that he's having because he lives in me- mediocrity, and I feel that sometimes, you know. But I just don't bang Isabella Rossellini, so <laughs> unfortunately,
0: most of us don't. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're we're not we're not. And to have to have uh, Isabella Rossellini and Laura Dern basically fighting over us is a life that most of us will never get to get to appreciate so. so
1: sad so sad. that's my suburban nightmare
0: right word <laughs> <laughs> all right um i am going to move on to my first pick which is one that uh, frankly i'm a little bummed that more people haven't seen it actually when it was released in the theaters in 97 it only made eight million dollars on an 18 million dollar budget and I think it is actually a, a modern, well, modern as modern as 1997 uh, classic. It's from Angley, one of our, I think, most interesting directors. Not necessarily going to say the greatest because he's made as many bad movies and misfires as he has good ones. <laughs> uh, but I always appreciate that he's aiming high for stuff. But this one... Is arguably his best movie. It is uh The Ice Storm. Uh for mm. those for those who've never seen it, stars Kevin Klein, Joan Allen, Christina Ricci, Toby Maguire, Sigourney Weaver, Elijah Wood. I mean, the cast is just stacked.
1: Whoa, the cast is stacked. I've never seen it, unfortunately.
0: And and that's and that's that's fine. That's a but it's one that I think you should bump towards the top of your list because it is uh so it takes place in the early 70s, deep in the suburbs uh, of Connecticut, where we've got these two upper middle class families. Uh, Kevin Klein and Joan Allen are married, Jamie Sheridan and Sigourney Weaver are married. Kevin Klein's having an affair with Sigourney Weaver. Their kids are all friends. But the entire movie basically takes place over one night. When all the adults are going to a key party, uh, for those who don't know, a key party is where all the adults go to this party. They leave their car keys in a bowl uh, at the entrance, and as they leave, whoever picks up – one party picks up the car keys, and the other person goes home with them. Uh, and. Oh. Yeah, it's uh it's basically a giant swapping party is what it boils down to. It's a drinking game as a swapping party. And of course, secrets and lies and things all come out. Meanwhile, their kids uh, who are all played by uh, Christina Ricci, Elijah Wood, Adam Handbird, Toby Maguire, Katie Holmes is in it. They all have their own things. But over the course of this night, wherein a giant ice storm hits, mm. uh, things come out, things happen. Toxic rot at the root of all of these families is revealed, and I don't, I don't really want to say any more. But let's just say, I would recommend having a Happy Place movie queued up after. Watching
1: this. <laughs> I don't think any of these are going to be happy place movies.
0: One of mine will be. One of mine is very much a happy place movie. But yes, this is this, okay. is, this is by far and away not a happy place movie. But it, it's, it always hits me because it is so much. It's not a horror movie. It's a drama. But it is so much about, as somebody who grew up in the suburbs, as somebody who lives in the suburbs, there's so much of the things we do think but do not say that is part of the problem with the suburbs and this movie is that through and through uh it is it's it's a it's a gut punch there's just no other way to describe this movie it is an absolute gut punch and i think it's a damn travesty uh that more people don't talk about it and more people haven't seen it because it is a I think it's an all-time great American film. It's it's Hmm. sort of American film. I mean, Ang Lee's not American, but everything else about it is American. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, I honestly, if I'm being, I'm not even gonna act like I've heard anybody ever talk about that movie, which is surprising because of how freaking stacked that cast is, and it sounds like something that a lot of people would be into.
0: I think the biggest problem is, is it first of all. Two years later, American Beauty came out and American Beauty yes, covers a lot of the same territory. I think much, much worse and in a much less subtle and a much less interesting way.
1: <laughs> American Beauty was going to be my next
0: pick. Uh, well, there's nothing
1: wrong with that.
0: I th- That'll give us <laughs> something to talk about. Um, Good segue. Yeah. No, but but I, I do feel like that. So, Ali, if you like American Beauty, seek this movie out because I think I think you'll really like this one. Um, But I think American Beauty has blocked the ice storm from becoming more of a sort of cultural touchstone. And I mean, American Beauty was a massive box office success. This made eight million fucking dollars like me and five other people saw this thing when it came out in the theater. Uh, so, you know, it's... I will say it is, it is in the Criterion collection. And... Oh! So that, you know, and it is on the... I believe it is on the... We'll talk more when we see where things are streaming, but I believe it might be on the Criterion channel. But if not, it is on Criterion Blu-ray, so...
1: I will be watching that because... I do like American Beauty, which is why it is my next pick.
0: Well, and that's a perfect segue. So let's talk about American <laughs> Beauty. Allie's, Allie's second pick is American Beauty.
1: Tell me why this so, one. Well, I picked this one because I think it's a perfect... It would make a great double feature with Blue Velvet, especially because of the whole Rose thing. But um, I I know this movie has been met with criticism as of late, but in my age group, it's kind of one of the... The favorites, I don't know why, because it's a lot older than a lot of, well, not really, but it's a lot older than people my age really tend to go. But this is the movie that made me obsessed with movies. So I have a very, very nostalgic love for American Beauty. And the reason I chose it for this particular theme is because the nightmare that is represented in this suburb is so real. And it's Kevin Spacey being (laughs) a living human being. (laughs) <laughs> what first <laughs> nightmare no kidding but you know it's it's there, there's a lot of elements to this that are very 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 scary and real and i think that you know it has that in common with blue velvet even though blue velvet is obviously super exaggerated i feel like american beauty is a much more subdued version of that and i appreciate that very very much i do love this movie quite a bit <laughs>
0: Well, and a lot of people do. I mean, Jesus, it it won Oscars. So, you know, don't take my not loving it uh, as any type of <laughs> criticism. And, oh, no, no. And because the 20th Century Movie Club is all about positivity and not about negativity, I am now going to talk about <laughs> all the things I love about American Beauty.
1: Yay! Namely,
0: <laughs> Jesus, tap Dancing Christ, Chris Cooper is one of are greatest actors, and the dude is great in everything he does. Like, I love him in this movie because he, he manages – I don't necessarily think the things he does are there on the page, but what he brings to that role, the depth he brings to it, the, the rage, the, the restraint, the resentment, is that in and of itself I think makes the movie worth watching.
1: I agree. I think it's very much it's, it's a muted performance in that it's not over the top, it's not the one that you're really, really the most focused on, but I do think it's the best in the film and I think that it is extremely powerful. You can just feel the conflict and turmoil in his spirit through his performance. It's amazing.
0: And I also am gonna give a shout out. I... I know one of the people in the movie that tends to, you know, because it has become kind of popular to bag on American beauty and and it's kind of become one of those movies that people are like, oh, I can't believe this won Oscars and stuff like that. And, and one of the actors that I think gets an unfair brunt of that is Wes Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think Wes Bentley's pretty terrific in this. Like, yes, his character became a cliche. The brooding, you know, the sort of brooding bad boy kind of became a cliche, but that's Dawson's Creek's fault. That's not necessarily his fault <laughs> in American Beauty. Like, I think he gives a pretty great performance in this. He he does he does what's asked of him. He's He's certainly charismatic enough. I mean, there's no question you can buy why Thora Birch would sort of be uh, en- enraptured with him. Oh, I you- can't
1: really get past the, the plastic bag scene. Like, it, it makes me laugh now. When I was, like, 15, I was like, wow, this is so deep, amazing. Never heard anything like it. But now it just makes me laugh. And I, I am wondering how much of that has to do with the fact that everyone dunks on this movie all the time. <laughs>
0: Well, I think it's part of that, and I think it's also that Wes Bentley never really became anything, you know. I mean, it was only 10 years later he was, like, hamming it up in Ghost Rider, you know. And so I think part of it is, unfortunately, had he become the new Ethan Hawke like everybody thought he would be, I think we'd still think his performance was great, but he didn't. Uh, And so... I think that's part of the problem but you're you're totally right though that this is a movie and this I'm not saying this is a criticism this is absolutely something with value. This is a movie for people who are 15 years old because it does feel <laughs> Yeah. But but it it I don't mean that in a negative because I feel like that opens things up for you. You know there's a movie that I recommended way back on like the I don't know fifth episode of this noah bomb kicking and screaming it's Mm -hmm. a it's a movie about disaffected college students i saw it when i was a disaffected college student i that is still one of my five favorite movies of all time were i to see that movie for the first time now as a 44 year old i might find everybody in that movie completely insufferable but because i saw it at the right time at the right age and it opened up something in me and made me feel something and you know Ali you know me well enough to know that like nah, filling stuff is not always something I'm great at I, I'm kind of <laughs> dead to the world most of the time I, I'm i never going to judge a movie for that and so I think even though I don't necessarily love American Beauty I love that you love it and I love that anybody that does love it and that it makes them feel something like, good on him. Like, it sucks that Kevin Spacey's in it. That That's a bummer, but, I mean, it is what it is, right? He made a lot of great movies. We, if we X out every single movie that Kevin Spacey's in, we're going to lose some really good friggin'
1: movies. That is very unfortunate, but true.
0: <laughs> I mean, my, my favorite Christmas movie is The Ref. And I used to watch it every Christmas Eve with my family, and it's got him in it. And, uh... I'm not gonna not watch the ref because that movie means the world to me. So yeah, uh, it's I,
1: shitty, but it's true. It, that's it, how I feel.
0: It is, and I love this recommendation because I there there is no question. This is a sub the. I would argue that Blue Velvet is the definition of a suburban nightmare movie, but I think this is right up there with it.
1: I mean, I like I mentioned. I think this is very much Blue Velvet, but like on like, level two, as opposed to 11. (laughs) Just because these are things that, I mean, again, Blue Velvet is very exaggerated, and I feel like American Beauty shows things that can actually happen, but for some reason, it still feels like a complete fever dream that any of it is even happening. Fever Nightmare, I should say.
0: I like that. Fever Nightmare. I like that. Um, And yeah, it and it's honestly it's one of those movies that I feel like everybody should see at least once, regardless of how you know if you haven't seen it, you're not you're not taking cinema in uh, enough cinema in. It's a movie that everybody should see once. I do also feel like we need to kind of mention that Thora Birch and Mina Suvari are really terrific in it for for young actresses. Um, there's a lot to like about and and also like we totally skipped over Annette Benning who's also terrific. Like there's a lot,
1: Oh, I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> there's a lot to like in this movie. Uh, I don't necessarily think it holds together and I certainly think that Alan Ball kind of explored these themes a little better in 6 Feet Under, but there's nothing wrong with this recommendation. It's terrific. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> it what well, you don't need my uh, my affirmation on it, but uh anything else you want to add to it?
1: Um to be fair, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. So if anyone is like, what the hell, that movie sucks, maybe it does. I have to revisit it. I'll let you guys know.
0: I don't think it will. I don't think you'll feel that way. Um, I think what you'll feel is you might you might be able to see some of the other arguments, but I think it'll still mean something to you.
1: Mm, that's
0: sweet. Um, all right. My... Next pick, my number two pick is uh, going to go kind of what a lot of people would think of is the opposite direction of Suburban Nightmare, because I'm going to go into a full blown comedy. Uh, However, this comedy, this 1983 comedy is all about the pressures of growing up in an upper middle class neighborhood where everybody around you expects you to do something great with your life, like go to Princeton and become a big business leader. Mm. And what you end up doing is opening up a brothel in your parents' house while they're out of town. (laughs) So my next pick is Paul Brickman's uh, 1983 movie, the movie that put Tom Cruise on the fucking map. Risky Business. Allie, have you <laughs> ever seen Risky Business?
1: I've never seen Risky Business, which Adam Risky is going to kill me. I know he loves that movie, or at least he can because it's punny with his name. But still, no, I've never seen it. I will pack my things.
0: It is It is so good. Uh, so for those who don't know, Cruise Plays, and this is like if people want to try and understand why we give a shit about Tom Cruise now, other than the fact that he keeps trying to kill himself on movies, but why at (laughs) one point he was the biggest actor in the world. All you need to do is watch this one because this is the birth of Tom Cruise. This movie is the, the, the coming out of the biggest actor in the world. He plays a high school student uh, named Joel Goodson who is getting so much pressure from his parents uh, about going to Princeton, about all these things. They go out of town on a vacation. Uh, He fucks around while they're gone. That's where we get the very famous scene of him dancing to old-time rock and roll in his briefs and the button-down shirt, that even if people have never seen this movie, they know that scene. Uh, But ultimately, he ends up on the uh, fairly poor advice of one of his friends, hiring a prostitute, that prostitute turns out to be Rebecca De Mornay. They actually sort of fall in love and come up with an idea of while his parents are gone to turn his parents' house into a brothel. And it is... Not a bad plan, by the way. It's really not. The only real problem <laughs> with it is Lana's pimp, Guido played by the almighty Joe Pantoliano, Joey Pants, uh, who uh, does not like that Lana and his girls are cutting him out of the uh, equation. So that's where the conflict in the movie comes in. But the movie is pointed. Its satire is right on point. It It is sexy as all hell. Um, not that that is something that necessarily people should check out, but There is a scene on a train that uh, (laughs) made uh, young Mikey fill things that he was not used to filling. Let's just put it that way. And (laughs) it's funny as shit, uh, but at its core is still this idea of suburbia forces people into being who everybody else thinks they're supposed to be. Rather than who they should be or who they want to be. And that that is one of the things that I this was actually when we came up with this theme, believe it or not, other than Blue Velvet, this was the very (laughs) first movie that I thought of because this. Oh, wow. Yeah, because this is just such a great satire of how. So many people. You know, and I sound like I'm being like whiny white man here. Trust me, I get my privilege and, and all the things that have been given to me in my life. But I also understand that there are some unique things that come along with privilege of. Privilege is everybody else telling you who you get to be, and this movie nails that through and through it, it is, I think, just such a great time. It's a it's a an absolutely delightful hundred minutes. I watch it at least once a year and mm-hmm. it's never not put a smile on my face.
1: I have to watch it. I really do. There's no way that like I can't believe I haven't seen it. That's one of the movies that I generally be myself up over because it's always on. Do you know what I mean? Like it's always on TV at some point. I have to check it out. And I do love me some Tom Cruise,
0: so. Well, and he's got, I don't want to get into any spoilers, so we'll have to talk after you watch it. But there is a, there's a scene where he just, he puts on a pair of sunglasses and I'll say no more, but it is a classic. I mean, you can literally see Tom Cruise being born as as a megastar in that scene. I love that. Like, it is one of those movies, you know, it's always so fun to go back and watch movies and you're like, oh, this is what it looks like when a movie star is born. And this is one of those movies. It's just he, he's everything in it. He's terrific. Rebecca de Mornay matches him step for step. Uh, it's, It's just a lot of fun as a movie. But also, I think, smart. There's a lot of really smart things going on kind of under the surface in it that it doesn't you know it gets lumped in a lot of times with those sort of early 80s teen sex comedies your porny yeah and your revenge of the nerds and it's so much fucking smarter than all of those other movies uh that I think and it's also as much as a movie in 1983 could be very pro sex worker it doesn't treat Lana Mm -hmm. and her friends as just objects. It it treats them as actual people with valid decisions and life choices and stuff like that, which is definitely not something that a lot of movies in 1983 were doing.
1: I like that. That, You sold it. You sold it.
0: (laughs) I tried. I I really do. I love this movie. (laughs) I've been waiting for a good opportunity to put this movie on the list. And so I'm glad I got to do it this week.
1: I'm glad that you did too. All
0: right. So LA, what is your third pick?
1: My third pick is what I would consider to be my biggest nightmare. <laughs> it's the graduate. It's the graduate. I, this is absolutely my top five favorite movies of all time. Um, I think it's a little blasphemous that I can even pick five, but this would definitely be on it. Um, it, I feel like it has meant something to me in different phases of my life when I graduated uh, college this, which year? of This year, actually. I really identify with this movie. And the nightmare is that your boyfriend has fucked your mom in your little quiet town of very wealthy people. That is a freaking nightmare. I can't even, like, I can't even express to you how scary that would be to me. I don't even know how to react. But this film is just, it's so ludicrous. Like, it's just so surreal to me that this would even happen. So again, it does give me that dream vibe, especially because, you know, he kind of, Ben kind of gets like neurotic trying to uh, like get Elaine back. And I feel like that's what I feel like in most of my dreams and my nightmares. So I just immediately thought about this when we talked about suburban nightmares amazing movie one of my favorites highly recommend i feel like everyone again that has seen this has nothing but positive things to say about it
0: yeah i mean that's one of the things with this show right is sometimes classics are we, we try and highlight maybe some movies that people don't see as much but on the flip side you know we've also recommended things like lawrence of arabia or stuff like that it's like sometimes classics are just classics for a fucking reason. And this is one of them. Like, it is so good. And every time I watch it, I watch it every few years. I I don't watch it regularly, but I watch it every few years. I am always so amazed at how it does not date. Like, the technology dates, the clothes date, but the, the context, the dialogue, the interpersonal relationships, the existential... I don't even want to say angst ennui. The 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 way that uh that Ben just feels dead inside, that never ages. That never gets different. This is such a timeless movie to me. And then like you said, you add to it, you know, the whole kind of fucked up sexual politics of it. It's
1: and So crazy. <laughs>
0: and it's it's just a weird thing because there's depending on who you are and your age when you see it and, and stuff like that there's so much you can pull from it that is so you know everybody in this movie kind of as i said a little earlier they're all just trying to fill something they're all just dead inside and they're just all of them they're just trying to fill something and all that does is make everything worse for them. And I mean,
1: and even, like, he spends this whole time trying to get out of the nightmare of having fucked the girl he loves, his mom. And he marries the girl, or he elopes with the girl, or he escapes with the girl. He just got himself into another nightmare, and you can tell that he realizes this, you know? Like, it's kind of depressing, actually. <laughs>
0: Well, and and that's the thing, you know. I, I'm not going to worry about spoilers for The Graduate because I think you, even if you haven't seen it, you've probably gleamed through osmosis. But the last shot, I think, is one of the all time great last shots in movie history, right? Just the the way that Hoffman and Ross, their faces change. And the look on their face and, and everything—it it, is—it's such again—it's such a gut punch. That's the only way I can really describe it. Look, don't get me wrong; the graduates funny as hell. I mean, if anybody walks funny? up to me and says "plastics," I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna not laugh, right? But it's also—I <laughs> I mean, I can make an argument that this is. <laughs> Almost a horror film, you know, certainly by the like, you know, we talked about this the last time you were on the 20th Century Movie Club, certainly by the terms of elevated horror and and people right now are pulling their hair out. But like it hits you in a lot of the ways that horror movies do, because it's just a constant spiral of bad decisions.
1: Oh, God. Spiral
0: is the perfect word, you know, and and it just. And you just you want to reach out to the people in this movie and just be like, stop, don't do it. You can you can. There's another way. There has to be another way. <laughs> but yeah, I I mean, this is. Ali, you've you've recommended three just absolutely spot on suburban. You know, when we when we kind of talked about this theme, you've recommended three that I think really are just Spot on with what we were talking about because you know, you could very easily recommend a straight horror movie. I mean, so many horror movies take place in the suburbs, right? You could recommend,
1: of course, Poltergeist,
0: Poltergeist would be a perfect one, right? Or, or a more modern one that we couldn't recommend, but hereditary, you know, I mean, right? But I like that we've both kind of gone with things that. Are just as horrific and just as nightmarish, but not horror movies because most of us don't have to worry about uh, you know monsters coming through our television or our mother getting possessed by uh, a, a, you know a demon, but not knowing what the fuck. And you know what? Go ahead. Yeah.
1: It's it's also like I wanted to focus on movies that actually would make us grateful to have this moment of just mundane calmness because I know we're all very exasperated and I'm ready to go out and ready to like return to normal. But these movies are kind of like, I think they all do this thing where like you have this at the beginning and then something goes awfully wrong. And all you want to do is just return back to that kind of everyday, like, I'm going to say the word again, mediocrity. <laughs> and so it makes you thankful for that, you know, and I feel like we all need that right now. <laughs> Just a little bit of perspective.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is they're very good for that perspective because it's like nobody in any of the movies that we've recommended, none of them has. I mean, I guess the secondary characters in Blue Velvet do, but but pretty much everybody else. Nobody has what you would, on an objective scale, call a bad life. And right. there is value in recognizing that your shit's not that bad. You know, you, you can't always have the perspective to recognize that, but like your shit's not that bad and... Sometimes a life of boring mediocrity isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, Sometimes it is, but I think it's
1: important. You know, it sucks. It sucks. You do want that excitement, but it's always nice to know that, like, things are at the very least kind of stable in your little boring suburb.
0: Stability is the right word. You're absolutely right. Like, stability is something to because the people who get their lives upended say uh you know well basically all of our characters in all of the movies we've we've recommended would if we were to continue the movies give anything to go back to that boring stability that they had before because when their lives get upended, they don't get upended in ways that typically. I think Risky Business might be a bit of an exception. That's the one character, Tom Cruise's character, without going to spoilers. He ends up better off at the end of the movie than he was when he started. But everybody else. Yeah. No, I, I love this recommendation. This is kind of, to me, uh, maybe the, the perfect. I don't know, the perfect, I don't want to say perfect suburban nightmare because I still think that's Blue Velvet, but (laughs) the perfect just, less obvious. everybody should see this movie when they're like 21 years old. I I think it just Uh, should be mandatory that everybody has to watch this movie when they're like 21 years old. Anything you want to add about The Graduate?
1: I love the soundtrack so much, you guys. I'm not going to lie. It did make me a little biased here. I love Simon and Garfunkel. I love Dustin Hoffman. I'm a little biased. Great movie. I also love the color palette. (laughs) Just random facts. But still, watch this movie if you haven't. I, like, feel like I can't recommend this to my everyday friends. Because I don't think they would really, really understand it. Which makes me feel like a pretentious prick. But... If you're out there and you take my opinion seriously, which my friends do not, please watch it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to second that. If you haven't watched <laughs> The Graduate yet, I mean, this is one of those movies that we kind of created this show for uh, was to recommend movies like this. Uh, I have used it to recommend movies that are not on the level of The Graduate, but when Dana envisioned this show, <laughs> these, were the, uh, these were the movies that uh, he kind of had in his mind. Uh all right, I am going to go into my third pick, which is another one that I think doesn't necessarily meet that nightmare, uh, at least at initial glance, that nightmare thought that people would would come up with. Uh, but what if you had the perfect suburban life? What if everything that you ever could have dreamed or wanted was there. And it was all you could have ever hoped for. But yet, for some reason, some little voice in the back of your head kept telling you something was off. And slowly but surely, you figure out that that's because your entire life is on camera. I am Mm. going to recommend (laughs) 1998's Peter Weir directed The Truman Show, which yes a movie that will literally turn me into a curled-up ball of goo every time I watch it. I love this movie so much. For those who don't know, Jim Carrey plays Truman Burbank. He believes he's living his life, but it turns out that he is the star of a reality television program that is broadcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He lives in a fake town, All designed to give everybody entertainment. Based on your reaction, Allie, I'm guessing that you have seen The Truman Show.
1: Yeah, I have. It's the first movie from Jim Carrey that, I mean, this is going to sound so stupid and naive. But remember, I'm a little bit younger. It's the first Jim Carrey movie that I saw that made me realize, like, oh, no, wait, this guy's actually a phenomenal actor.
0: (laughs) Well, I think, I don't think that's actually stupid and naive because... It is the first movie where I think most of us realized... You know, this was before Eternal Sunshine. This was before a lot of his movies. This was the really the first time that he went sort of straight drama, even though he gets to do some goofy things in it. And it was... You know, seeing this in the theaters for me in 1998, because I am an old, I felt mm-hmm. like this movie was... Uh, the only way I could describe it was a revelation. Like Mm -hmm. I was already a big Peter Weir fan because he had done Dead Poets Society. He had done The Picnic at Hanging Rock. But this, him coupled with Carrie was such a moving, brilliant combination that I just, I absolutely love this movie. And again, I think it hits our point of sort of, the things that are on the surface aren't necessarily all they're cracked up to be. So I think it definitely fits well within our theme.
1: I think it really does too, especially because we all kind of put on our little Truman shows, right? Like, I mean, kind of Stepford wives where like we try to present our, so, or just, Desperate Housewives, even we want to make it seem like everything is fine and perfect, but everything is actually not what it is. You know, it's usually not what you think it is the same way that the film kind of exhibits. So it's a good pick. I really like this one. I honestly, I'm kind of disappointed. I didn't pick it myself.
0: Well, that's why there's two of us, right? We get to, yep. uh, <laughs> we get to, uh, cause I'm a little disappointed. I didn't pick the graduate. So we get to, uh, <laughs> we get to talk about it. It, it, it everybody wins that way but if you if you have i i feel a little bit like the truman show is a movie that has somewhat fallen you know i see a lot of people on twitter and stuff really hype eternal sunshine of the spotless mind which i also think is a terrific movie but i feel like that gets hyped somewhat at the expense of the truman show and i think truman is as good as uh, as Eternal Sunshine and has just as much to say about the world and relationships and stuff like that and so I'm I'm a little bummed that I don't see it get talked about more
1: you know what I, I hear it talked about more in real life than I do on like Twitter or online which I think is the first case of that I'll be honest with you
0: well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm just too online. Uh, <laughs> but since my entire social network exists digitally. Uh, I, but, yeah, you know, I feel like, yeah, if I went to a store and asked people, do you like The Truman Show? You're probably right. A lot of people would probably say, yeah, I like that movie. They might be like I haven't watched it in a long time. But, you know, because, I mean, this was a big, big hit when it came out. I had a budget of $60 million made two hundred and sixty four million dollars worldwide like it was a huge hit it was when jim carrey was just on that run of can't miss movies and i think it was i i think this movie makes five bucks if they don't make it when he's on that run you know it just was pure lucky timing that he was in the middle of a tom cruise level hot streak and so they were able to sort of backdoor this really smart, really clever movie on the shoulders of Ace Ventura. And, uh, and I love it for that because it, it's so good and it's so well done.
1: Oh, my God. I, every time I'm on this podcast, it makes me want to watch all the movies that we just talked about.
0: That's our goal. That's what okay. we're trying to do. So we're, that, that just makes me feel like we're accomplishing our job. Yay. <laughs> All right, Allie, anything you want to add about The Truman Show?
1: Watch it. I actually think it's funny that people usually talk about Eternal Sunshine the most because I like Eternal Sunshine, but I don't like it as much as The Truman Show. I think it's it's too much. It's just too much. So if you had to pick, pick this one.
0: I'm going to 100% agree with you. Okay, okay, god. Yeah, I like Eternal Sunshine. I think it's very good. I will watch this a hundred times for every time I watch Eternal Sunshine. I think this one is... I don't even want to say better, but it speaks to me more. It it hits me more. It makes me feel... uh, in ways that eternal sunshine doesn't because i will put this out there do not at me about this i'm not the (laughs) biggest charlie kaufman guy he kind of keeps me a little bit at arm's length and so even though i like eternal sunshine i like adaptation i like being john malkovich I'm never going to love them with my whole being the way that I love The Truman Show because I fucking love this movie with everything I have.
1: I, I just think I, that the other movies are a little cold, and that sounds so ridiculous for someone who loves things like Blue Velvet, but they're just, they, I don't know, they make me feel cold, and I don't love that feeling. <laughs>
0: I, cold is the perfect, that is the exact word I would use as well. So I completely agree with you. Um, So, folks, check this one out because it's not cold. It's the opposite of cold. It wears its emotions completely on its sleeve. It wears its heart wide open. And, man, at the end of 2020, we kind of need some movies that wear their hearts wide open. So uh, above and beyond all of that. I just think it's a great movie to watch right now with everything that we're dealing with because it's going to make you you're going to be in a better mood at the end of the movie than you were when you started. I guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. Like I guarantee Love
1: that. You. So. Yay. All,
0: all right. la uh we are at the end here uh i folks listening will admit i uh made a mistake as a guest as you know this is the part (laughs) or as a host this is the part where we always ask people to tell us where things are streaming i forgot to give Ale the heads up on that so i'm just gonna do all of the streaming recommendations really quick um blue velvet Is available for rent or purchase on all of your major streaming services, so you can check it out there anywhere. Likewise, American Beauty is available for rent or purchase. It is also on HBO Max if you have an HBO Max subscription. If you do not have an HBO Max subscription, I strongly encourage you to get one because they have a crap ton of Criterion movies. They have all the HBO movies. They have a bunch of Warner Brothers and DC movies frankly of all the streaming services i'm not gonna lie i feel like i get my most dollar value out of hbo max so i definitely recommend signing up for that one the graduate is streaming on amazon prime so if you have a prime subscription it's free otherwise it's available for rent or purchase on all of your major streaming services uh The Ice Storm is available for rent or purchase on all of your major streaming services. I also mentioned it is on the Criterion Collection, so if you want to buy that Blu-ray, go for it. Risky business, same. Renter Streaming, anywhere you may want. And likewise, Truman Show, Renter Streaming, anywhere you may want. Your Amazons, your iTunes, your Voodoos, your Fandangos, all of them. These are not movies that are going to be hard to track down. So uh, check them out. la plug some yeah. shit. Where can people <laughs> find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at sick underscore underscore six six. And I still have my alt, which is... The Blair Bitch underscore underscore. I keep forgetting if it's two underscores, but I'm pretty sure it is. You can find my podcast sequels on all major uh, streaming platforms. So it's on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Going Helms Deep is on Talk Film Society. So check that out.
0: I cannot imagine that anybody that's listening to this show doesn't already follow L.A., but if you don't, <laughs> again, fix your life. Follow her. Follow her anywhere and everywhere you can because she's wonderful, and uh, we are lucky to have her uh, giving um, us her film opinions and uh, general yeah. life opinions. So,
1: Yeah, I do tweet a lot about my own personal shit so definitely be warned
0: you lead a life there's no question
1: about that you lead a (laughs) life oh jeez
0: no but please follow her follow her everywhere you can Um, and Allie thank you so much for joining me thank you for having
1: me it was a really like I feel uplifted after this episode so thank you
0: yeah I do too I think I need to go watch the Truman show like talking about <laughs> the Truman show made me feel like I need to go watch the Truman show so um, I yeah it. I, I agree Folks, as always, you can find me uh, at Hibachi Justice on Twitter where I blather on about things mostly Scott Adkins related. You can also find my second show, uh, Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world, at Adkins Adkins Podcast on Twitter. You can find me at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd where you will also find our continually updating list of all the movies we've recommended on the 20th Century Movie Club. We are well-passed past 200 movies uh but luckily they made a lot of movies in the 2000 or in the uh 20th century so we're not in danger of running out you can find the namesake of this show dana buckler at real dana buckler on twitter you can follow the show at dana buckler show on twitter join our facebook group the dana buckler show follow the show on instagram at the dana buckler show email dana at TheDanaBucklerShow at gmail.com. We are a Patreon-supported podcast. Where supporting us gets you early access to episodes, bonus classic How Is This Movie episodes, as well as uh, some new goodies when we get around to them. You can listen to the show on every major podcast app of choice. If you like us, please leave us a review. That always helps. If you don't want to remember all of that bullshit I just said... Go to Linktree slash Dana Buckler Show and you can find all of those links. And finally, be sure to make sure to download the Dash Radio app and listen to Dana's new show, Hollywood Unfiltered, on the Fun for Life radio channel on that app. It's a terrific show. Every once in a while, you're going to get to hear me on there as well. And it is completely free and ad-free. It airs every tuesday at noon pacific standard time so make sure to download that app and check it out all right Allie, thank you so much
1: thank you all
0: right for dana buckler i'm mike scott i hope you all have a wonderful night